and we'll be reading from it shortly. Looking back and looking forward. That's the, uh, what we gave as a title for the service this morning. Looking back and looking forward. When we were younger and fitter, uh, as some of you know, uh, Kim and I walked the southwest coastal path and uh, enjoyed the wonders and beauty of that. And of course, that was made up of many individual days walking. And, um, but as we walked it, of course, the coastal path, in case you're thinking of doing it, is not just flat walking along the beach, some of that, but there's an awful lot of uh, going up and down as you come up, particularly in North Cornwall and, and other places. And of course, as we came up on, on the high bits, as it were, then those were places where you could look back and see where you'd come from. And you'd look back and you'd see a headland, you know, several miles p- past where we knew we'd either started from or we'd passed earlier on. And, um, and then we'd look forward and we'd say, that's where we're heading for. That's, that's, the, that's, that's, that's it. And of course, it didn't look too far away at that point. It always seemed to take an awful lot longer to get there than we expected when we could, we could almost touch it, but walking was something else. And life is often described, isn't it, as a journey. And just like walking, in a sense, there's the big journey from when you're born to when you die and leave this place, this world. Or, but that's also made up of lots of little journeys, lots of smaller walks, lots of events, lots of different phases to our lives. And each of those, in a sense, is a journey. And I, very briefly this morning, will be brief, because there's other things happening, as you know. But the Israelites themselves were on a journey, weren't they? A journey from being slaves in Egypt to the promised land. A, A land that had been promised to them many centuries before. Centuries uh, to their ancestors, Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, etc. And we're going to pick up the story in a minute. And they've come out of Egypt. God's hand was at work. Those wonderful, those amazing plagues delivered the Israelites uh, from, from Egypt. And God led them towards, instead of leading them straight to the promised land, he led them down into the de- desert area around the Red Sea, simply because he knew that they needed to go that way. Otherwise... When any armies came to approach them at that point, they'd have, they'd have turned back. So he leads them that way, and they cross the Red Sea, and then they find themselves in this desert area around Mount Sinai. And that, of course, is where God calls Moses up onto the mountain to meet with him, to make this covenant with the people of Israel. And, um, and of course, while Moses is meeting with God, the children of Israel are doing something very, very different they call upon Aaron, Moses' brother, to make them this golden calf, to make them a god like the sort of gods that they had in Egypt, a god that would now lead them into the future. We don't know what's happened to Moses. They said he's been up there an awful long time. Who, who was this Moses anyway? Let's make us, make us a new god, like the sort of gods we had when we were in Egypt. And of course, Moses comes down the mountain and he's so distressed, and he breaks those two tablets of the covenant, those two copies of the covenant. 
And judgment happens that day. Over 3,000 Israelites are killed as a result of their sinfulness, their rebellion. And that's the context of reading from Exodus 33. So if you've got Bibles and you turn to it, Exodus, the second book in the Bible, chapter 33, verses uh, let's read the first few verses. Exodus 33. Exodus, yes, my wife. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. When these people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn and no one put on any ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, you are a stiff-necked people. If I were to go with you, even for a moment, I might destroy you. Now take off your ornaments, and I will decide what to do with you. So the Israelites stripped off their ornaments at Mount Horeb. So despite their rebellion, and this of course was their greatest rebellion, but even in the few weeks since they'd left Egypt, they'd rebelled already, hadn't they? They said, you've no food here in the desert. And God had provided them with quail and with manna. There's no water here in the desert. And God had, from that rock, had provided water for them. And now their greatest rebellion in terms of making this golden calf. And yet here we see, despite all of this, God saying, I will still keep my promise to you. I will still send you to the land that I've prepared for you, a good land. I'll send you there. And an angel will go before you and prepare the way for you in defeating the people that live there. But I won't go with you. I'm not coming. Because you are a stiff-necked people. Stiff-necked gives us that picture, doesn't it? It's a, a word applied to animals. It was applied to oxen and to horses and things like this who would not bend. They would not, they would not yield to be led in the way that they ought to be led. Years ago, when we were, when we were newly married, we were part of a, uh, a church where there were lots of people our age and, and one of the leaders there was really keen on horse riding. So he used to take, encourage us to go horse riding with him. And I remember the first time I went horse riding on the Clent Hills, um, and I thought, this is great. I got on my horse, and it was trotting along, and I thought, well, this is really easy. I, I'm good at this. I'm obviously a natural. Perhaps I should take up horse riding or whatever else. And I was going along quite happily, and then all of a sudden, for no apparent reason to me, my horse just shot off into the, into the hedgerow and started chomping away. And do you know what? I couldn't move it. I was pulling on his neck. I was trying to shift him. He wouldn't move. In the end, one of the people who ran the centre had to come along and grab him by the reins and give him a smack around the chops or whatever else and lead him away. I couldn't move him. His neck was absolutely stiff. He wasn't going to move. And God says this about these people. You are stiff-necked. You won't yield. You've made up your mind and you're not going to... You keep going that way even though 
Even though you've seen all that I've done. You've seen my great power. You've seen the plagues that I brought on Egypt to deliver you. You've seen how I've led you through the Red Sea. I moved the waters back so that you could cross on dry land. You've seen the pillar of fire. You've seen the pillar of cloud. You've seen all of these things. And you've seen my goodness and my might. And yet, you still pull into your own direction. You are stiff-necked. Despite all of God's goodness, they wanted to go their way. And this happened on Mount Horeb, as we read there. Mount Horeb. Moses knew this place. Moses had lived in this area for many years when he was, uh, after leaving Egypt the first time. He knew Mount Horeb. Horeb was the place that he met God. Horeb was the place where the bush was burning. And out of that bush, the voice came, Moses, Moses. And God reveals himself as the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Moses knew this place. And And God said to Moses, Moses, I have a purpose and a plan for the Israelite people who are presently slaves in Egypt where you came from. I have a plan to deliver them and take them from there to a land, a wonderful land. And Moses, do you know what? I've got a plan for you too. Because you're going to lead them out. What? Me? Me? How can I do that? Who am I? Said Moses. In chapter 3. And then God says these words. I will go with you. I will be with you. And that's what made all the difference. I mean, Moses doubted at the time and he doubted sometimes afterwards as well. But that was God's promise. And so now today, when Moses is back on Mount Horeb with these stiff-necked people and God is saying, I won't go with you, Moses looks back and he sees now that over the, since that time he met God at the burning bush and God had made that promise to him that I will be with you, he sees actually that that has been fulfilled. He sees now that it's true, God has been with him. God has delivered the people from Egypt by his mighty hand and acts of great power. God has been with him, and he knows that. And yet God is now saying, I won't go with you. you can, you're to go, it's there for you, and I'll make it possible. But I'm not going with you. And then in verses 7 to 11, we read about how Moses goes into the tent of meeting. It doesn't actually describe what happens, but it's there to tell us that Moses goes into that tent of meeting, the place where he meets with God, and he has a conversation with God. Because it says Moses talked with him, or the Lord talked with Moses face to face. It doesn't say that about anybody else. But God talked with Moses face to face. And let's read perhaps some of that conversation from verse 12 onwards. And Moses said to the Lord, You've been telling me, lead these people. But you've not let me know whom you will send with me. You've said, I know you by name, and you've found favor with me. If you're pleased with me, 
Teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favour with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And Moses said to him, If your presence doesn't go with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you're pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And God goes on to reveal his glory, his nature, his character uh, to Moses. Moses says, if you don't go with us, how can we go? How can we go? If you don't go with us, how, why would we be different to anybody else? All the other nations, if you're not with us. And if you've promised me, you've said you know me by name, you, 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 you know me, I've pleased you, then Lord is effectively saying, Lord, please come with us. And God responds that he will, that he will come with him and he will bless, bless him and bless these people. And God went with them on that journey. We read in, we read in Corinthians the spiritual rock is talking about the water that God provided. It says that spiritual rock was Christ who accompanied them through all those desert wanderings, all those years that were to follow on, all because of their regain, because of their rebellion and all the rest of it. Instead of taking a few weeks, it took 40 years. But all that time, God was with them. Christ was with them on that journey. Because God wants to dwell with his people. That's what we see in creation, isn't it? Before the fall, when God walked and talked with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's what we've just been celebrating, Emmanuel, God with us. And of course it's what we see right at the end of God's book, at the end of Revelation, where we read, Now the dwelling of God is with men. And he will live with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. That's what God's plan is. To be present, present with his people. To live with them. And the land will be a far better land than the promised land that those Israelites inherited. It will be a place where God dwells with his people. And we all know him face to face. In a, in a greater way even than Moses knew him back in, in Exodus. And this is all because of God's faithfulness. It's all because of God's grace. It's all because of him. He went with these people to Canaan not because they deserved it. They certainly did not. He went because he's a faithful God, a God of great grace and compassion, albeit 
He's a God of truth and justice. And they had to face the consequences for some of their rebellions. But God led with, God went with them. And as we look back, as we look back perhaps individually, as, as individuals or as a church, the truth is we can see, can't we? We see in our own lives God's faithfulness. We also see our own failures, our own weaknesses, and we see some of the consequences of those things being worked out. But we see God's goodness to us. We see that he's, he's kept us. Kept us in far more ways than we can ever know, actually, is the truth of it. Because he's a faithful God who keeps his promise. We are children of the promise. And as we look forward, what are you looking forward to? Well, we look forward to, ultimately, to the things that we read about in Revelation at the end there. But what are you looking forward to in this year ahead? I pray that, certainly true for myself, I pray that I might know more of God's presence in my own life. I know that's what he wants for me, but so often I want other things. But I pray that might be true, and I pray that might be true for us individually, and I pray that it might be true for us as a church. We know at the end of Matthew's Gospel, don't we, we have those verses where, which also happen on a mountainside. And it's about journeys, in a sense, as well. Because Jesus is about to take a journey from earth to heaven. And he tells the disciples that they're about to take a journey as well. Because they're going to leave where they are and they're to go into all the world, into all the nations. And they're to tell people and teach people what Jesus has taught them and to make disciples of all nations. He's a great purpose of them to make, for them to make Jesus known. And the fact that we're here this morning is because they did. And through the generations, people have passed on that message the teaching of Christ, and taught others to become his disciples. And they did that because, well, they obeyed, but they did that because God's promise would be, as you do that, I will be with you always, all the days. As you seek to follow me and do what I've taught, I will be with you. And if we want to truly make Jesus known, or probably better put, if Jesus is allowed, if, we're, um, if we make ourselves available so Jesus can make himself known through us, it isn't us in a sense. It's Christ being revealed as he's present with us. It's Christ being revealed, his presence being revealed in us and through us. And if we want that to happen, then we, like Moses, need to plead with God. A plea that he only is only too willing to hear and respond to that your presence go with us let us not be stiff-necked let us be humble like Moses the humblest man on earth and ask that his presence go with us in this year ahead and in all the things including the things that we'll be talking about in a few minutes we ask this in Jesus name let's just very briefly pray together Father Lord, I pray, I pray, Lord, that you give us hearts that instead of wanting to pursue our own agendas and our own ends, 
hearts that truly do want to know your presence, that that might be the most precious thing to us. That might be our priority. Because, Lord, as we know that happens, then the other things that we'd want to see will happen as a result. Lord, may these things be true for us individually, for us as a church, and indeed for the other churches that are represented here this morning. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.